welcome to another episode of the Roost Podcast. As always, I am Carter Spires, with my co-host Matthew Bartlett, the director and managing editor of The Roost, your premier source for right sports news and analysis. Well, we have uh, a lot of very uh, random disparate things to cover tonight. Uh, spring practice is starting up, so uh, obviously we're starting to move into that, that one brief shining oasis of football we get before the long long summer off season but uh before any of that we have some uh some podcast business as they say Ooh, that makes us sound official it does. are we official now uh maybe we must be don't tell the the guys over at dave campbell's speaking yeah. of dave campbell's we are uh, i guess we're we're official you found us on this new feed so uh thus marks the the beginning of a a relationship we're pretty excited about here over at the Roost Podcast, we are coming alongside and partnering with Dave Campbell's Texas Football on their Republic of Football podcast network, which as of right now, I, I think it covers seven, I believe, programs, FBS programs throughout the state of Texas. They got an A&M podcast, a Baylor podcast, North Texas, UTSA. They got everybody and uh, and they got us. So it's going to be pretty exciting. Nothing's going to really change on your listenership front, you are just now going to have to go to the Republic of Football feed. Go find it where you get your podcast, and you will find us, and you will find a crossover with uh, all of the other pods covering Texas football around the state, which will be particularly, I guess, exciting because we will get to some 2023 schedule news upcoming in a little bit. But for instance, when Rice opens their season on September 2nd against the University of Texas, uh, you can pop over pop over on the same feed. Hear Mike Craven previewing the game from the Texas spin. Pop over here, us talking about the Rice side. Uh, we still got a good amount of Texas flavor in the Rice schedule. And I guess in the AAC schedule for the most part. So it, it'll be fun. We're excited to partner with these guys and do something that we already enjoy doing with some other folks that we really respect and enjoy. So it'll be fun. I know Carter and I were, we're both pretty, pretty locked in and excited to do this. And now we just have more football, which is a good thing and more podcast and everybody, <laughs> nobody listens to one podcast. It's, yeah. it's a gateway drug, right? Everybody wants more and it, it'll be perfect. I'll, I will have a, 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 a built-in source, a built-in uh, sort of a, a network of, of allies to uh, help get brushed up on these programs. And, you know, whenever we need to, like, oh, crap, I uh, <laughs> I don't feel like I'm prepared this week. Then you can just, uh, you know, pop on over to uh, somewhere within the network and, uh, and, and catch up on what's going on uh, with a significant amount of Rice's opponents for certainly the upcoming season. So, um yeah, so yeah, this is a really Rice excited. podcast getting getting help with our homework from others. Is that <laughs> is that what's going on? I mean, yeah, I don't I, know. I, that's the deal. Like when you when when you work on your problem sets, you know, you've got your your assignments that they take. Uh, uh, you've got all your insanely hard stuff there, and you get together with the other uh, physics and engineering majors or whatever, and you uh, you 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 hammer it out together. So co- collaborative work. It's uh, it's we're all about it. I love it. It's going to be fun. I hope y'all stick. If you've if you've made it this far, 
then then what's another couple i don't know 150 podcasts to to catch up and and follow on uh it's it's kind of kind of crazy when you know we're talking about forming this partnership i was thinking about how far we've come i, I believe this is actually episode number 140 Oof. which not too shabby we'll take it yeah how in, how in the world I don't know. Y- y'all keep listening. We're going to blame you. Yeah. We, we shouldn't blame our listeners, especially not the <laughs> new ones. Please, please keep, come listen. We're going to we're going to talk through anyways. But yeah, exciting news. Want to leave that up at the top. And then I guess we kind of hinted on a little bit. The schedule is out. And I think, w- well, we knew some of the opponents already. We've just kind of gotten dates and times and it doesn't really feel real unless you can like print it out or see it on your computer screen in order with the bye week because suddenly where the bye week does like emotionally changes your dinner on how the schedule looks i don't know why but but it does but we have a 2023 schedule so i thought it'd be interesting just to kind of talk through it and kind of give our early thoughts now that my, my head like basketball is wrapping up and we're still playing you know, Rice is setting up with Louisiana Tech and, uh, you know, games against other teams that UTEP that Rice is not going to be in a conference with in, I guess, four months. But I keep seeing them. So my brain hasn't shifted to AAC yet. But <laughs> we're officially this is now on to AAC. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I um after our last one for the 2022 season, I went through the tags in our uh, our podcast host that we've been using and uh i ceremonially deleted the conference usa hashtag from that so we are uh <laughs> as as bill belichick might say we're on to the aac uh no more questions about conference usa we don't know her um, but yeah i'm looking at i pulled up the the venerable uh fbschedules.com because i like just i like to see the helmets and uh it's weird looking at this schedule. It has a very, uh, it makes me feel like it's 2012 again, because I'm seeing a lot of, you see Tulsa, Tulane, SMU, uh, Houston on here, even though that's technically not a conference game, ECU. Like it feels like, uh, it was one of the things I was most excited for this move for is that like this gets rice back together with a lot of the teams that we played when I was in school. And, and that I think of, um, and not that CUSA had ever had any had any kind of stable membership, but the the teams that I came up seeing Rice playing, and uh, it's even weird because we've we've also got uh, like former AAC member UConn in. We've got like it's <laughs> this is so AAC. There are two teams, two games with teams that were very recently in the AAC that are on the schedule that are not American Athletic Conference games for Rice. Can I be completely so, honest? Because when I saw UConn on the schedule and I was reading through it, I had to do a double take and 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 Google what conference is UConn in, <laughs> because I was like, I I know they're not in the AAC, but but we're moving to the AAC and and there's a schedule with UConn on it, so I yeah. had to go. And I was like, oh yeah, they they scheduled that one a couple they're, years ago. Okay, yeah, they're independent now. Weird, yeah. And yeah, so they and it's 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 interesting for a couple of reasons. The past couple of years, Rice has gotten basically all of their non-conference play out of the way in September and then kind of move forward. So they have uh, Texas, Houston and Texas Southern 
the first three weeks of the year, Texas on the road in Austin, Houston and Texas Southern at Rice Stadium. Then the first AAC conference game Rice ever plays in at USF. And then the first home AAC game, uh, East Carolina. And then they wrap up non-conference play against former AAC team UConn at home. Yeah, if you uh, the last uh, ten FBS games, so throwing out Texas Southern in there, the final ten FBS opponents that Rice plays this season are or very recently were members of the AAC. So, uh, man, Rice is Rice is going to be playing a football game at. Uh, the house that uh, Tom Brady recently renovated, I guess you might say. That's that's weird. Raymond James Stadium, yeah, USF. in Tampa, <laughs> yeah, with the, the pirate ship and all. Yeah, so I think and it's then, interesting. And then playing pirates the next week, very uh, pirate flavored <laughs> swing in late September. That's great. We we got some, we got some good connections. Uh, we have uh, the other owls. Uh, FAU is coming. No no temple on the schedule this year. Yeah. So we haven't we'll hit hold full, off on that. We haven't hit like complete owl, uh, like you know ma- maximized owl within the conference yet. Uh, so hopefully we'll get that in the next couple of years. Owl. Uh, GIF hooting intensifies. We'll get there. And then, so I kind of, I read off the first half, the last half, just to round this out. We have the bye week after UConn, uh, on, then on the road at Tulsa, home games versus Tulane, and then SMU, back on the road in the Alamo Dome at UTSA, and at Charlotte, and then home, last home game of the year, uh, Thanksgiving weekend versus FAU. So the last three games on the schedule are the former COSA teams that are moving up along with Rice. So we're going to get through a non-conference slate that looks kind of familiar. Didn't we just do Texas, Houston, and Texas Southern like not that long ago? Yeah, it's a very, uh, very familiar flavor to that swing. And then we end with UTSA, Charlotte, and FAU, which we did last year. (laughs) So... Uh, it's a it's a weird amalgamation of of CUSA, I guess, like, like you said, 07, 08, like 1.0 and then yeah. AAC 1.0 if we're in 2.0 or 3.0 of the AAC at this point. So I don't know, yeah. I kind of look through it and I guess a I, like I said, I've been in CUSA mode with basketball and baseball and everything for so right. long that. I haven't like my brain hasn't fully processed what an AAC schedule will look like, but I look at this and I'm just I'm excited and I I don't know if it's actually going to be like any anything meaningfully more you know unique for me sitting watching these games to see Bryce play USF and East Carolina than it was playing Louisiana Tech and Southern Miss, but I'm more excited for Rice to play USF and East Carolina than Tech and Southern Miss. Yeah, I feel like I'm not alone in that. And you get to that swing and. Uh, I don't know, we're, we're going to need to see like where this team is coming in, like the stretch to be that will like both kind of activate the nostalgia the most and kind of. I don't know, we'll see what this team is made of, I guess, is is late October, early November, because you come off that bye week after UConn and it's 
at Tulsa and uh, Rice fans of my age and vintage uh, will still harbor a certain resentment toward this program for certain things relating to one uh, Todd Graham. Uh, and uh, but then Tulane, SMU, and then recent um, uh, local opponent at UTSA, like those are all teams aside from Tulsa, but Tulane, SMU, UTSA, that stretch, like these are teams you expect to be at the very top of the new CUSA, of the new AAC. And uh, we will definitely see what this team is made of during that stretch. But those are teams that I uh, was used to seeing Rice beat and quite handily, but uh, uh, they are uh, certainly have been in better places recently than Rice has. So uh, if, if things are going to come together, then, you know, that'll be the time to prove it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. That's going to be that's going to be the proving ground, right? Like we talked about 2022 being a bowl season or bust. And I mean, I know we're not going to put an actual asterisk on it, but like it kind of was like an asterisk, like got to the bowl barely. Yeah, um, it was like but, it was like it was like you flipped a coin and it came up literally on on the the on the edge on the rim. It was like, is that is that success or failure? Is that the heads or tails? Uh kind of neither. Like I think you would actually you wouldn't have thought you'd managed to land manage to land exactly on that narrow line, but somehow they did. I think the better metaphor actually would be flipping like 30 coins. And having all of them come up tails. Because that's kind of what it felt like when I was doing the five-win bowl tracker the last yeah. weekend of the season. All right, we need Miami to lose. We need X to lose. And just kind of going down the list. Uh, but that was 2022. I guess I, I say that because I, I look at last year's season. I look at last year's schedule. And I look at this schedule. And, I, I mean, I got to be honest. It, it, it It's more difficult, yes, just kind of eyeballing it. I think Houston's probably going to be a better team than they were last year. They were kind of in a rut. Mm -hmm. uh, Big 12 member Houston, along with Big 12 Texas for at least one more year. Weird. <laughs> but but just kind of looking through this, it, and you have that stretch you mentioned, I think it's it's maybe appreciable, appreciably more difficult, but I don't feel like Rice suddenly got dropped into like the SEC. Like It doesn't feel like Rice is completely out of, like, should not be on the field with these teams. It feels like it's going to be harder, but it doesn't feel like, you know, there's all these talks about resetting and getting the AAC and making that jump. This doesn't feel like, oh, well, Rice has to start it, you know, one or two wins and earn your stripes again. No, I feel like Rice should be competitive in a lot of these games. And we, we can talk through expectations and stuff, but it's going to be harder. But, you know, if if Mike Bloomberg is the coach that, you know, the, the staff, the program are betting on him to be and kind of we're, we're hoping that we can get there. You know, maybe things could be interesting and, and <laughs> circle, you know, Rice upsetting, uh, you know, former USC defeating Tulane at home in an AAC game and tell me that was happening three years ago. And I'm saying <laughs> future Big Ten member USC. Excuse me. God. Uh but yeah, like looking at the schedule, it's it's a nice mix of like, like, OK, you have Texas, 
that is Texas, and and you know that is what it is. You have uh, Tulane, SMU, and UTSA that are all, you know, expected to be at the top of the conference. There's going to be really tough games, but Florida Atlantic and Charlotte were under five. Did not make bowls last year, even though like and Rice did. Um, East Carolina. US, USF was the worst team in the AAC last year. East Carolina was 500 in the conference. Tulsa was three and five. Like, if Rice expects to be a team that has a solid place in this conference, like these are and should be competitive and potentially winnable games. So, um, and one other thing that's pretty interesting is they leave the state of Texas three times for the whole season. They are uh, yeah. <laughs> at USF, that first uh, road game in the AAC, at Tulsa, and at Charlotte. When and is I the mean, last time gonna... Rice had three non-conference home games? Yeah, it's been a minute. There's seven home games on the schedule for Rice this year, which has kind of been atypical, especially because with the bye games they've played in past years. And even some of those, they, they've played a couple with the, the game, the that first game being an NRG. Right. And maybe having the, the six home games apart from that. So they've had like, even with game, I think they've played like se- seven or eight games inside of the state recently, but right. not all at Rice Stadium. Yeah, so... Travel shouldn't be a factor, at least. I mean, the farthest they go is Charlotte. Like, and and it, in terms of travel-wise, there's nothing. There's not much functional difference between like Tampa and Charlotte, but um, you're not getting anything crazy geographically or any stretches where no Murfreesboro, yeah, no Ruston. Uh, most exotic you're going is Tulsa, and Tulsa. <laughs> I mean, you you could drive that if you really wanted to. Yeah, so I don't know no if, if this if this team takes us. Yeah, like I think it's about as good as you could have reasonably asked for. Like, would you have liked to have had, say, Temple on here as well? Would you have liked to have maybe another game that's a? It's like UConn was pretty frisky last year, honestly. So um, <laughs> the I, mean, I did not expect to be said at the Rice pod, the Rice podcast, right? the frisky UConn. <laughs> Um, you know, uh, I don't expect many, many years where Rice has multiple out-of-conference games that are like, okay, we can pencil these in as wins, but, um, it's not like an easy, easy, like not as easy as it could be, but it is as favorable as one could reasonably have expected, I think, and, um, yeah, I, I think you're right about like that. It's not like, oh, crap, we're suddenly it's not like you're taking a look at it and be like, oh, God, can we just jump into the SEC like this is going to be brutal. It's like, OK, well, this is a step up. But it's if this is where the program. You know, has aspirations to take a step forward, then like this is the kind of schedule that you need to be able to succeed with. Yeah, and if if Rice doesn't succeed in, in 2023 on the football field, I don't think the schedule is going to be to blame. Like, I don't think we're going to say, well, if they would have been in CUSA, they would have been fine. But the AAC, you know, it's harder. I'm like, that's true. But I don't feel like the difference is going to be, you know, 
maybe maybe you uh, win one less game in the AAC this year than you would have in CUSA last year. But that was probably just beating the Charlotte game or winning the Charlotte game that you probably should have won. So, and Charlotte's on the schedule again, ironically enough. So we'll see. I feel I'm feeling good. It's what March, so I can have optimism about the schedule. I don't have to actually freak out or really right. start making yeah. assessments for like four more months at least. So we got time, but we kind of want to talk through it because it's interesting. And I had I had I had to get all of these emotional responses that were in my head out to kind of process. <laughs> and I, I guess if that's all we have for schedule talk, the other thing that kind of flew I didn't fly under the radar but I feel like college football is just kind of has the schizophrenic February now every year where some like major like you know global shifting mechanism in the sport just happens all of a sudden and everyone's like okay figure it out yeah and this year that was rule changes which yeah all, all aimed at basically like making games shorter, um, and two of them I think are pretty unobjectionable. Pretty like everyone's like, okay, that's fine, and it won't fundamentally change things. So they're trying to eliminate consecutive timeouts, like when a coach tries to like double ice the opposing kicker, which I feel like really works. First of all, and uh, so, but I, I don't think I doubt anyone has problems with that. And then no untimed downs based on like penalties as the clock expires at the end of the first quarter and the third quarter. Sure, fine, great. Like, probably wasn't enough. How, how many times thing. does that happen in FBS yeah. football? Like in a like, year, like three, maybe. It's not. Go- it's not going to meaning meaningfully affect most games anyway. So whatever. The big one is um, eliminating one of the things that has for a very long time been one of the biggest differences between college rules and the NFL, which is that the clock will not stop or would not stop on a first down the way it does in college now. So just like the NFL, except within the last two minutes of each half, which I have very mixed feelings about. Like it's, it it seems to me a sensible change. College football games are way too long. Okay, so uh, that was that was kind of where I wanted to to start with this conversation. Yeah. Is that a a definitive statement, or are you musing? Are college football games too long? I think they are trending that way. Um, although, like, I don't know. It's it's a weird thing because I think there are people who who very much have this attitude of like, oh, young people aren't paying attention to games because they're too long. Well. Okay, you turn a college football game into an NFL game by changing the the way the clock works, and so what? You cut it down from three and a half hours to three hours. Like, oh, that is a makes a meaningful difference in people's attention span. I don't think it does. Um, I think to me, the better argument in favor of something like this is if we're going to keep extending the season and keep extending the season, and now with it. And sure, this probably isn't likely to affect Rice in the near future, but like you keep extending the season by expanding the playoff and suddenly you're having teams play 14, 15, 16 games. And I think we're reaching a point where we say maybe reducing the length of games by having fewer plays in them 
is maybe a good thing to help protect these still uh, in large part unpaid players from destroying their bodies in college. So, yeah, I don't know. But at the same time, like, I've always been attached to that and the sort of greater margin for error that it gives to college teams to, like, make big comebacks and stuff like that. And, like, yeah, you still have the last two minutes, but I don't know. It it feels like a huge change that... I don't know. It, it uh, Like I said, I have, I have very mixed feelings on this one because it is a very, very kind of radical shift. And and, and I guess the, the caveat, I guess they still have to like officially vote on this. But this they were like, yeah, this is going to be we introduced this and everyone's going to say yes, kind of rubber stamping thing. So I guess these aren't official official, but they're they're pretty official if you can be pretty official. And kind of when I was kind of thinking through this, one of the things that I thought is most most interesting is because when I'm at a college football game, I'm covering a rice game. I'm just at a different game as a fan. I I can't really think of an instance where I was at a game and I'm like, man, this game is too long. You know, it's not like, and we're talking about all the, the change of game, uh, change of pace rules within major league baseball right now. I've been in a major league baseball game and I've met thought like, man, this doesn't have to be three and a half hours. Nothing is happening yeah. in 30 minutes. Yeah. Like, and so I think I, I think these aren't the same in, in that in that span. And I'm, and I'm not trying to make them equivalent. But I, I think also another way that, and, and I do this less on the beat for Rice because obviously I'm at the Rice game and I, I have less bandwidth to consume other games. But I think there are a large portion of, college football fans that enjoy their favorite team and whatever else is going on in the sport, mm-hmm. they will turn on the two thirty CBS SEC. Well, I guess is it not, not CBS anymore, but the two thirty uh, prime one more time. Year. One more year. Yeah. Okay. SEC game. And they will turn on whatever game is on ESPN between ranked teams, you know, on prime time, just because they're interested. And I think this is kind of just a net win for the sport. Because it just drives me crazy when I'm watching a football game and they're like, well, also we're starting this other game that you also wanted to watch over on like ESPN seven on an, <laughs> or on the app. Yeah. And then once this game is over or, you know, you're waiting for the rice game to start or whatever. And they're like, no, no, we're not going to go to the rice game yet because we have to finish watching East Carolina, who is now in a four hour game. And that game, like that whole back and forth like what the nfl has done to the fact that like at noon the first round of games kick off and at three o'clock they're done and the next ones kick off and it's like clockwork it's beautiful it's wonderful and 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 if you're if you're telling me that i'm sacrificing and trimming off some of the edges and the margins where weird crap happens and i love college football for the weird crap like that's one of the best parts about college football so I'm, i'm i'm conscious of that but if you can tell me that we can get the entire product more consumable and we can't take out commercials, like I'm OK with it. We'll see what happens and how it plays out and what unintended consequences we have. Uh, but I, I don't really think it's going to be as big of a deal. I think people will just get used to it after yeah. 
some coach complains because they didn't get enough time and they lost, et cetera. But, you know. Yeah, I think that's fair. Like, and you're right. Like, it's okay. Like, it might trim out some of the absolute edge cases, just like changing the overtime rules to where it's the two-point contest after double overtime. Like, did we lose? We no longer get the LSU A&M seven overtime craziness with that. Um, but, like, it's college football. Like, to to paraphrase Jurassic Park, weirdness finds a way. Like, it's... <laughs> this, this sport is not going to stop being stupid as hell just because the games are a little bit shorter. And that is, in fact, why we all love it. Or, I don't know, maybe some of you, the new listeners, don't uh, consume it in the same, like, absolutely deranged way that I do. But, like, I, I, a lot of us that watch college football broadly and not just our favorite teams like the weirdness is the feet is a feature not a bug uh and that will still be there because this sport is just is just how it is and and making in the game slightly shorter is not going to hurt that much yeah. at all i don't think so I, i'm i know i know there's pe- there's people on all sides of this fence i guess what we'll see in reality and and when it comes to like rice on the field this year i don't just trying to think through does does games going quicker help or hurt any particular style of play i i and i couldn't really come up with anything i'm like if you're on the up tempo offense does this help oh if you try and go the other way and and milk the clock does this help I, I don't know. <laughs> I think it's just going to take off. I, they they had a study that came out with whatever release this came through. And I think they talked about knocking off like seven to 10 plays a game or something like that. So realistically, that's maybe a drive and a half to two drives per team. Uh, well, no, one one drive for each team kind of being yeah. take off. And, and I don't think. I don't think it's going to be that radical. And at the end of the day, if you're telling me that I can consume something I like in a shorter amount of time, yeah, I will cop to being <laughs> the adult that has children and <laughs> a spouse and life and everything else going on. And man, if you could give me 20 minutes back on Saturday, I wouldn't hate it <laughs> and still enjoy what I love. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. I'm not anti-college football. I love college football people. That's why this podcast exists. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. So on that, I, I guess that's all we have on those. So we can move to uh, Rice has uh, had some had some serious coaching overhaul lately. So uh, that's that's probably worth worth a mention. Yeah, a lot. Like, and I was actually going through this, and so uh, I'll do a, a quick plug here. If you are a Patreon subscriber, uh, I mean, I don't we're, we're not going to get onto anything that you haven't already read from me so far, which is good. And a plug, if you're not a Patreon subscriber, uh, you should go and subscribe because, you know, sometimes we think, oh, it's not this the offseason. Nothing is going on. We have obviously we're just <laughs> talking about it. there's there's a lot going on. And I was just kind of going through and looking the past couple off seasons since Bloomgren has been hired. He's been very consistent on limiting staff turnover and just trying to keep it as consistent as possible. In 2019, he had one new assistant. 
in 2020, he had two. In 2021, he had three. And in 2022, in 2022, he had one. So the biggest number was three on any given season. One or two guys change over on staff. Several of those guys uh, got jobs elsewhere <laughs> and they weren't fired. They, they, you know, we had Jerry Mack going out to Tennessee um, and Pete Lebo ending up, I guess, what Memphis and then South Carolina. But th- there's been a couple guys that have moved out. But for the most part, that's primarily when why people have left the staff. They've, they've gotten hired upper somewhere else, which good for them. But uh, this coming, uh, I guess, spring into summer, Rice is going to have five new position coaches. Which, yeah, which recall the number of assistant coaches these days is 10. So that's half the staff. And if you added up all of those numbers of how many changes Rice has had over the previous four offseason under Bloomgren, you get seven. So there's almost as many new coaches that Rice will hire in like two months in the spring than the previous four years combined, which is pretty crazy. And so I guess first things first, gut feeling on this amount of basically self-induced turnover because Gerard Wiltshire, who has been the corner co- corners coach at Rice since Bloomgren got here, uh, took a head coaching job at Morehouse College. Uh, everybody else on the staff, the rest of the changeover has been implemented, you know, by making hard cuts and bringing new people in. The decision to go get upgrades. Uh, how do we feel about Rice going five and eight, making that bowl game and deciding not to clean house, but to do a lot of a lot of churn that has has not been the M.O. for Bloomgren so far at Rice? Um, yeah, I think it's it's interesting. Uh, I think from an outside perspective, you might say that, okay, well, the progress has been slow, but it has happened, and they did finally make a bowl. Um, and with a little luck and your quarterback injuries could have gotten there by a record, uh, not just by being smart, but I think things had probably gotten a little stale and I don't think there's a question. It's like we not to rehash last season, but we talked plenty about how, even though the record was the best it's been in a lot of ways, there were still so many frustrating things about last season. Things that, to the extent that you can ever ascribe anything purely to coaching, and I am of the school of thought that as an outside observer, you can never be 100% sure the ways in which a coach or any, any particular coach has any particular impact. So ascribing impact to them is always sort of a guessing game to the extent that you can assign portions of blame for the poorer parts of rice's performance last year to coaching i think it is fair to do so and to say that okay you're making this jump uh you're presumably getting more money into the program from the aac now uh ideally you have a bigger budget to pay coaches with um that 
some amount of change was necessary. Um, so. And I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm a huge fan of it. Yeah. And, and it's like you said, I'm not, this is not, not to, you know, speak ill of any of those coaches. Cause I don't know what, like were the running backs not productive last year because CJ Anderson wasn't a, a, a good running backs coach. Like, I don't know. What about the offensive line? What about the actual athletes on the field? What about the entire scheme? What about the fact that you had 17 different quarterbacks? I don't know. I don't say yeah. like changing a, a running backs coach is not suddenly going to make everything better, but just going out to spring practice and standing on the field and watching Pete Alomar, who's the new special teams coordinator, working with his players and like going down and teaching feet and just having everybody locked in learning where they're supposed to put their feet on punt return. I was just like, it was kind of refreshing because it was that new voice. And, you know, I, you don't need to shake everything up just to shake everything up if it's going good, you know, but, but clearly we've talked about everything wasn't great last year, right? Like it was better, but I think everybody still ended with like, man, we, we want to be here and we're not quite there. So I think that the, the, the bringing in the new staff is good. And then I think it's also interesting and they're not done yet. They have two more to hire. Uh, what happens? So we have Pete Alomar, who was actually the special teams coordinator at Stanford for like a decade, like eight, right? Eight years, something like that. He had a he was uh, had crossover with Bloom when Bloom was the OC at Stanford. So when you had the coaching transition at Stanford with David Shaw stepping down and, and Alomar getting him to rice is huge. I kind of joked with him. I said, is there, are there any more Stanford people that can come? Because <laughs> we've rice has brought over, you know, a couple Stanford players at this point. Now we've gotten a Stanford coach. He kind of, you know, laughed it off and kind of gave me a no comment, but I was like, I was like kind of joking, but also like who else left at Stanford has a connection with bloom. Cause we might see them at this point <laughs> that I just thought that was funny. Um, but man, I, after getting to talk with him, I like him. Uh, then Jeremy Modkins, who played under Gary Patterson at TCU, coached under Gary Patterson at TCU, and, and coached up a couple <laughs> three-star prospects, three-star recruits that became uh, All-Americans and NFL draft picks. And I think that matters because, man, you go get the the corners. Who is the corners coach at Alabama? I don't know. Doesn't matter. But you're uh, handing them a T. Rob Robertson. Oh, there you go. Robertson. You're handing T. Rob a, a five star corner who's six foot three and runs a four one, and you're like, here, <laughs> put him on the field. And you're like, you look good. But if you're handing somebody at TCU, which historically has not recruited anywhere close to that level, and finding guys and consistently putting guys in the league, I like that. And Gary Patterson, you can say whatever you want about him personally or his opinions on, you know, the modern state of college football. But he's what top one of the top five defensive minds in the past 20 years of college football. Like, I don't think that's a stretch. Like, like is he if Nick Saban is probably the most influential defensive coach in college football over the last few decades? Um, Patterson's probably number two. Yeah. And I mean, even if you want to knock him down a few spots, I don't know, three, four, five, six. Yeah. I, 
like getting so somebody much of the off way, that. So much of the way modern defenses defend modern offenses is built in get stuff that Gary Patterson like. I don't want to say created because nobody truly, nothing is truly original in college in football, but like the systems that he put into place at TCU and the way they did their like split coverages and um, a lot of that stuff is modern defenses have, it's, it's been an enormous influence. Yeah. So getting somebody off his tree check, like this, that that's a win in my book. And then this one, it definitely made the most noise nationally, but also within the city of Houston, John Kay, who's been the head co- head coach at North Shore for I think the last nine years, eight or nine years at this point, yeah. uh, has won four state championships. And I think his team was what, 70, 75 and four, 74 and five over the past five seasons. Uh, just and this is another guy that you talk about people that are renowned for their defensive mind. Uh, very, very high praise from everyone in the Texas high school football community and the state about what he can do and has done on defense. And just, man, the number of athletes and D1 players that he has coached and put out, uh, bringing him in and having him coach linebackers is it's it's massive. We've seen kind of this movement of I, I guess what Jeff Trailer was probably he was the first yeah. head coaching hire that they said, let's just take this guy who's a really good high school coach and move him to college football. But after that happened, you started seeing uh, like Steve Sarkeesian at Texas going and adding some former uh, high school coaches to his coaching staff yeah. and you have joey mcguire at texas tech now yeah joey mcguire at tech yeah and like just, this, this has been this done before like but it's definitely a thing that's like become a trend in like specifically within texas lately and it's it's really fascinating from rice's perspective because you you can see where it's coming from with like with tech and with utsa and um Crap. Who did who did Texas State just hire? Um, I uh, thought they did a move. GJ like Kenny. Oh yeah. Who? Okay, not a Texas high school coach, but I I, I want to say I, I don't know that, that are pushing toward that trend of they're pulling guys from high school coaches from high school classes and really cashing in on those recruiting relationships. Um, and and I think that's what tends to get the most play with this. I don't I definitely don't want to downplay the element of like because you you noted about K being this respected defensive mind. Like it's not just the recruiting thing. Like they bring in like these Texas high school coaches. Like these are not just like rah-rah dudes. Like these are guys who like know ball and are are renowned for that. Um, but you see this happening in places like UTSA and Tech. And you understand that the recruiting and the relationships with the high school coaches, with other high school coaches, are at the forefront of that. It's it's about program building, which is is more important, really, than anything in college football. That's got to be a part of this here. Like, it certainly doesn't hurt Rice in recruiting to have John Kay coaching linebackers, but it is a different animal for Rice, both because well, of the it's... act. Because of the academics, 
yeah it, yeah it, exactly like it's 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 such a fascinating kind of spin on it because the academics make this sort of a different proposition for rice and the fact that rice is is and should like i have sung the praises of the staff for many years and will continue to do so the fact that they are recruiting nationally which they should because rice as a school has a brand that exists beyond texas and it's silly to not cash in on that um so you're not you're not going to try to build your program at rice in the same way that utsa or texas tech does so it it can't be the same proposition and, and obviously you're not like it's it's not the same thing because those are head coaches as opposed to a position coach um but it, it's such an interesting and like I, I don't know where I'm going with this exactly because we don't know the impact that having him on staff will have, but um, it's a fascinating little twist on this when you add in kind of like, oh, you you brought in one of the most successful high school coaches in the nation from a nearby powerhouse school to coach linebackers. But like when you put the when you put the rice lens on top of that, it's just I, I don't know the takeaway that you have. I don't know that you can really have a takeaway at this point about the the impact that it's going to have. But it's it's that it's it's very very interesting to me to to have that the same archetype we've seen play out at other Texas schools very much in vogue lately. To have that also happening in its own kind of unique way at Rice. Yeah, and and, and I think. You know, obviously, when when Rice hired Marco Regalado to be their director of recruiting, I, I talked to him. I talked to him a hundred times, and he said when he came in and he interviewed the job, his like top of the priority is that we are going to recruit Texas. He's like, he, I'm not. He didn't say we're not going to go recruit nationally. We're still going to do that, but we are going to recruit Texas. And I know that's been a focus of this staff since he got here. And so, yeah, I think if you would have gone and hired a token high school football coach to help with ties that would have helped with that but John Kay I mean you're talking about guys like Jeff Trailer who have made the jump and Joey McGuire who are college head coaches right now from the high school ranks you're talking about those guys John Kay was a guy that was more you know, regarded on that level. We're talking four national championships in the past, I think, seven seasons. National championships, state championships, whatever. But if you're the state champion of Texas, aren't you kind of the national champion? I was going to say, I, I feel like we we now might even have more listeners who would be like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's, that Maybe. counts as a national championship. But my point, my point being yeah. is... Kay is one of just the most respected football coaches right. in the state. And so to 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 land him, specifically him, uh, is huge. And, and I think this kind of underscores a trend and something that we've talked about in, in other aspects of this program under Bloomgren. You know, since he arrived, they are unequivocally, you can't argue with it, crushing it on the recruiting trail. They have had signed the highest ranked class Rice has ever signed three times in the past four years, beating their own marks. That's good. Uh, I think if you want to talk about the decision to go bring in these new coaching staff, like I feel like they're they're doing. I don't know what else like B 
beefing up the recruiting staff. You got to the AC. I think everything else like off the field that you could say draw up the perfect execution on how you want everything else to run outside of the games. This feels pretty close. Like this offseason, go get the best high school coach in the state of Texas. I don't know, top five, top six, whatever, if you want to quibble. <laughs> like go bring in a guy who, you know, has 25 years of coaching experience and special teams to go coach your special teams that, you know, kind of struggled last year. Like they're doing all everything. All of these moves make sense. And it's not and I'm not saying that when, you know, Bloomgren made the decision of I'm just going to, uh, you know, promote this QC guy to a, spe- a position role. I'm not saying that wasn't good. It didn't have, you know, maybe as much fanfare. But I think you look at the strategicness of these moves in particular and it's hard to say rice didn't get better and the fact that they made the bowl game they wanted to and still said we need to make this big of shift is encouraging me because it makes me feel like there's a desire for this program to keep moving forward which is which is what we want right right yeah and i I, like i think you like a lot of times we are we want to grade things purely on results in college football and ultimately you have to at some point, but like right now what we have, like, like ultimately any higher, any decision you make as a program is ultimately a crapshoot. Things that seem like the most logical thing in the world can crash and burn and be terrible. And things that seem wildly silly and like they were poor process to begin with our workout great but so all we can do now is take a, an objective look at the process and say this seems like good decision making logical thinking like like logical logical good uh, like you know choices that we want to see them making and they're doing that right now so like i think you have to feel positively about it it doesn't mean that the results are guaranteed to happen but if you are generally looking at the things a program does over a certain period of time and you're saying this was sound process, this was logical decision making, then I, I think that's all you can hope for at this stage. Yeah, I'm I'm in. And then I guess two quick notes that I think is is interesting because in I guess the, the college, you know, assistant hiring cycle has been kind of weird this year. I feel like we had. Uh, maybe not more of turnover between the NFL and college football, but maybe some more notable ones that kind of made the waves a little bit bigger. So Rice didn't announce, well, Rice didn't announce, but it was reported, uh, I guess, a couple of weeks before spring practice that the last of these coaching changes were being made. So Rice entered spring practice on on Monday and actually did not have a tight ends coach on staff or a running backs coach. And at the time of recording, they they still don't. So having some other assistants help out and and step in. But I talked to Bloomgren on Monday and he said that uh, he was working with the tight ends. So Bloomgren, as of right now, is the in in place stand in and tight ends coach for Rice football, which uh, I chuckled with. But he did remind me uh, he played tight end back in the day when he was actually a player. Yeah. So he, he said, this is this is kind of my home base. And uh, he he got to get his hands dirty this week, and that was kind of fun. So he he did kind of you know pull out a a broad a old Brian Schottenheimer or Mark, Marty Schottenheimer, I believe, 
quote. Huh. Or Brian, I got to go look it up. Um, but, but it was basically saying that um, they were going to take their time on hiring and not try and rush it. So uh, they, obviously they would like to have a, a new complete coaching staff in soon. Uh, they're in the process of doing that. But not yet. So at the time being, two more position groups to fill at tight end and a running back with this kind of shuffle. I didn't mention with John K coming in and coaching linebackers that lets Brian Smith go back to safeties. He coached safeties. What I guess the first four seasons he was here before shifting to linebackers last year. So now he's back to safeties, which I think is probably his first choice, or at least that's where he's been most comfortable. So that's a win. But overall, three new coaches, two more coming, uh, and a partridge in a pear tree. <laughs> Wrong season for that. But yeah, <laughs> a lot of changes, uh, but a lot of good. And like I said, it's fun. I will have back on Patreon a couple things. Uh, actually, in the middle of kind of putting some uh, stuff together right now, I talked to each of the three new coaches and kind of got their their feel on kind of what what they want to bring to their room, kind of where they fit in with rice football and kind of how it all came forth. So it was really good getting to sit down and chat with each of them. And we'll have some notes on that coming up soon and master transitions soon. Also in the middle of this spring practice, which we've hinted on uh, a couple times and mentioned, but I thought just kind of landing the plane because you know, a sense ostensibly we're talking college football and we've talked, <laughs> we've talked podcasting and schedules and rules and coaching, but not actually football yet. So now what 50 some odd minutes into this podcast, uh, we will talk a little bit of football. I kind of just wanted to give us some free reign. It's the first week of spring ball wrapping up kind of as we record this they're in the middle of spring break and we'll be back so i was just kind of thinking as i'm watching this kind of musing uh, like big overarching questions and things that i want to know about this team this spring because this is always a peek behind the curtain this is always kind of one of the softball reporter questions that you can ask to a coach of you know where are you going to be better in in in, in a month and you can turn it on them, but <laughs> I'm kind of turning it back on myself as I ask these coaches these questions. And obviously, I kind of want to see how the new coaches fit. But I'm I'm really curious to see all of the different defensive parts. And this kind of hit me this week at Rice's Pro Day watching uh, Quintet and Trey Schumann and Akin Inachuku doing their pro day stuff as they attempt professional careers. I'm like, Oh snap. That's half of Rice's defensive line. <laughs> Miles McCord working out on pro day. That's another guy that was leaned on. And this is, and they've always had a couple guys a year that have gone out and, and moved on. But you're talking about a defense that doesn't have George Nyakwal, that doesn't have Trayshawn Chamberlain uh, who's moved on. Uh, you know, I mentioned McCord. Uh, you have those three guys on the defensive line. I feel like this is a lot of significant pieces that are moving on for defense that was shakier last year than we've really seen it in the past couple of years. And so, A, yeah, I want to know who's going to be 
playing those starting roles that stepping in. But B, I just kind of want to see what it looks like because along with, you know, the insertion of John Kay at linebackers coach and a new corners coach with Modkins, they've had a lot of continuity on defense. It's been the same guys. They've had one defensive coaching change in five seasons when they swapped a line, uh, Scott Vestal linebackers coach. That's it. Like, right. And I'm thinking through everybody. I think that's it. So a lot of change on defense. So big musing. That's kind of my big, what I want to know and what I'm circling going into the spring. Yeah, uh, that one will, that one will be big. Um, I will be honest and just say I want to see how JT Daniels looks because, you know, lest we forget in everything else that's happened this offseason, uh, JT Daniels transferred to Rice. Um, and, Woo. you know, we've talked a bit about that this is not like getting a five-star recruit just like, hey, we recruited a five-star out of high school and he's signing with Rice. It's like not the same thing after – everything that he's he's the the way the path his career has taken to this point but like if he is the real deal then it should be obvious right like this should be a level of quarterback play that we have not seen at rice i in i I don't know how long chase clement probably and it feels like if 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 he as a player is going to be someone that really elevates the whole team, having a guy like that at quarterback in 2023, then, you know, you never want to take too much out of what you see in spring, but it feels like that is something that should be obvious. So I won't be like panicking all summer if he doesn't light the world on fire in spring, but it would sure make me feel a whole lot better to be making this jump and to watch him this spring and be like, okay, yeah, that's the dude. This is happening. This offense is really going to go. So maybe it's boring (laughs) to say, I'm going to be watching the quarterback, but like, man, ain't we all watching the quarterback? Well, like, (laughs) I, I, so yes. And I think that's totally fair, but can I, I'll throw one anecdote kind of on top of that, that kind of rings home that point, because this is now the, umpteenth season that rice has brought in a transfer quarterback i think i think this is the first time that i've had multiple people reach out to me on on monday on the first day of spring practice the first time he throws the football in in a like official capacity for rice uh multiple people reach out and say so how the new quarterback look (laughs) day one of spring ball Uh, and, and i'm just like and obviously, you know, like you have these conversations, you know how to go a new guy, but like the the amount of investment of people that deeply care about this football program wanting to know, hey, how did JT Daniels look? And I, and I, I, I responded back to people. I'm like, well, I mean, he he completed passes with no pads on <laughs> like so. He didn't look bad. Like the uh, the way I view it is the first day of spring ball, uh, a, a quarterback can only disqualify themselves. Like they can only yeah. implode such a degree that you're like, well, he's not the answer. And he did not do that. So he, he, he looked pretty good. He completed some passes. Uh, he did not throw any interceptions that I saw. I, I was happy, uh, you know, day one of spring ball. We're now three days in and we'll have more 
more to come. But yeah, I mean, obviously, if you solve the if you solve those two things, the entire defense and the quarterback, I think we're good. <laughs> Perfect. It's that easy. Simple. We well, we 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 we. It took us an hour, but we have solved Rice football for twenty twenty three. We, we have figured. Coaches take note. We on the yeah, podcast have figured out football. And if uh, any of you, any any of the new coaches do listen to this, you, you welcome invitation. You can come on the show and correct us and figure out what else uh, <laughs> X's and X's we need to pick up. But uh, but overall, I you know I think that's it. There there's there's so much writing on JT Daniels and how he plays this year, and I don't think we can understate that. And as a you know. 14th year transfer quarterback I think he can he can carry that weight like he's at least earned that so not 14th but like sixth interesting yep. enough he he did tell me on Monday that this was actually only his second spring practice of his career just with with injuries and transfer and the timings of that he had said he had one spring at Georgia but this is spring number two for him in his his uh his tra- mini transfer career so he was pretty jazzed to be on the field, and I think everybody else was too. So we'll see, man. We got a quarterback. We got lots of new pieces. We'll have we'll have plenty to talk through, and then before we know it, we will be AAC bound, July first, right? That's right. Yeah, coming up fast. Uh, but we will see you all soon. Uh, you know, we're in that irregularly scheduled off-season portion at this point. But, uh, yeah, lots of exciting things to come. We're we're looking forward to, uh, you know, a fresh start for Rice in a new conference uh, and with some new faces uh, on the team and the coaching staff. And uh, a fresh start for us on a, uh, a new podcast network with new partners. And, uh, yeah, so... We'll see you all again sometime soon, and rice fight. This show was edited and produced by Carter Spires. It features music from Joseph McDade.